0: Today, we find ourselves in the middle of Acts chapter 8. We're going to be closing that chapter out, which means we're closing out our series in Acts. And you say, but we're only in chapter 8. <laughs> but from the outset, if you've been in your study guides, or you may I may have mentioned it once or twice from the pulpit, we're doing a thematic study through Acts. This has just been part 1. Which means the next time we come to Acts to do part 2... And I don't think it will be any time soon, probably next year. We'll be going through chapters 9 through 15. And you might be thinking, but Saul's conversion is in chapter 9, and I like that story. And that's my cliffhanger to keep you coming back to church. So, (laughs) But I've called this first study Part 1, Power and Mission. And we really end on an episode that perfectly emphasizes those two things. Our evangelist here, Philip, will be commissioned by the power of the Holy Spirit in a very real way. It will not be that Philip had heard a sermon on witnessing, and so he heads out to try and do that. (laughs) But rather, the very power of God, the Holy Spirit, gives him explicit instructions and puts him on really a time-sensitive mission, and he obeys, and a soul is saved because of it. So I invite you to stand with me if you're able to read with me, beginning with Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And I'll let you know right now that if you're following along in a Bible, depending on your translation, I'll be pulling up and reading a verse that might be relegated to your footnotes, and that's verse 37. So depending on what Bible you read. Verse 26 says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, which that is the true pronunciation, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter." They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? This is where I bring up verse 37. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Oh, sorry, I skipped that. <laughs> and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to, into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, um, if there's anything we can learn generally from what we just read is that nobody is here by mistake. Father, I believe your providence has guided people to this place, and I want your Holy Spirit to speak to them. And I pray that your spirit would have been preparing their hearts to receive your word. Father, may your son Jesus be glorified today. May the body be edified. May people mature in the faith, if not come to the faith. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you know this? The way the Lord thinks things should go and the way that I think things should go aren't always in agreement, right? (laughs) When we think about personal situations, maybe suffering, maybe relatives or family members we're praying for, and on your timeline, they are healed. They're back in fellowship with the body of Christ like yesterday. Whereas in God's timeline, He's working and He's got a plan, but it's not our plan. Well, this just gets funnier when it comes to church things, right? Everyone has an opinion on the church. Its politics, its ministries, its functions and timelines. I mean, every single Christian I meet at some point in time will express an opinion on something that the church is doing wrong. (laughs) I mean, every single Christian. And some of you have been that person, and I'm not picking on you because... I'm also part of the every single Christian. How many of you know that our denomination had some troubles recently and everyone in Woodland Friends and every single business meeting were just in total agreement on how fast or slow and what pace things were going, right? Wrong. I'll confess there were some times where I was like, let's pull the plug. But my thinking has changed on that. I got a text on Monday from our superintendent. He was here at the beginning of October, if you remember. And he asked me, he says, I wonder if you could help me with something. He says, I'm writing a year-end letter for the Northwest Early Meeting. I'd like to include a few bullet point quotes of what people are saying about the Northwest Early Meeting today. Would you be willing to text me a sentence or two that I could potentially use if needed about what you see the Lord doing in Northwest Early Meeting? and or something you are thankful about Northwest Yearly Meeting today. I wrote back, yes, (laughs) sure. Here's the truth. I said, I see hope in the Northwest Yearly Meeting, and that hope, more than anything, comes from the gospel, and it's recapturing the heart of the saints of the yearly meeting. And then I say, may God and His grace lead us to fulfill His mission that He'd have us do in our season here. A few years ago, I wouldn't have imagined... I'd ever say that, not even in a parallel universe. (laughs) And it really makes no sense because a few years ago, if I'm honest, every fiber of my being felt strongly convicted. We need to leave the yearly meeting. But we didn't. And the Lord gave grace, and I think he's made the yearly meeting on board with the Great Commission again. Why do I bring all this up? A guy named Philip came into Samaria. Which were by and large considered unreachable, not part of God's covenant people. But he brought the gospel, they repented, believed, and were baptized, all thanks to God through a guy named Philip. John and Peter, two of the twelve, came down, saw that indeed the Samaritans were saved, prayed for the Holy Spirit to fall on them, then they left, preaching throughout Samaria. But now look at what happens. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So this is a little behind-the-scenes speculation, but can you imagine the general feeling among the Samaritan people? Philip was the guy, if you will, who planted Samaritan First Church, right? Right? John and Peter were like the superintendents who came and prayed for the Holy Spirit, but yes, but Philip is kind of like a fast, recognizable anchor. And now he has to leave. It's okay, because the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of his believers. And I have to wonder if if while John was there in Samaria, he shared a bit of a preamble of what he will write later in his general epistle. Remember John writes, but the anointing, that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, that should encourage you all to read your Bibles, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. But at the same time, in a worldly sense, it can seem so fragile, a relatively New church among really a new people, the Samaritans, and the leader is being called away. But he has to go because an angel of the Lord called him to it. For Philip, do you hear what he's called to do? So, geographically, Philip is north of Jerusalem. Now, I know in your Bibles it said he went down to Samaria, but again, for Jews, anywhere, it doesn't matter what direction, anywhere from Jerusalem is down. But Philip is being called to 35 miles from Samaria to Jerusalem. And though God didn't stipulate how far he'd be going from Jerusalem to Gaza, that's a 60-mile journey to Gaza, which is a rather remote and really the big, the last big metropolitan stop before Egypt. And this is before Uber and taxis and, yeah. So no explanation either. No further details. Just rise and go down back to Jerusalem and out the other end, going south towards Gaza. Also remember Jerusalem is a hotbed of persecution at this time. Verse 27, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. again pronounced that way, and that's actually not the name of the queen. It's a title, kind of like Pharaoh or Caesar. Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. So Philip is seeing why the angel of the Lord showed up and called him. And his prompt obedience, his rising and going, made sure that these two met up because they're both going southward. The, the eunuch is returning from Jerusalem, so good thing he caught up with him. Acts chapter 8 is just pulling no punches when it comes to the audacity of God's salvation. And what I mean by that is that for contemporary Jews, reading the Gospel accounts, it's bad enough because Jesus is approaching lepers. Jesus is taking boat rides across the Dead Sea into pagan Gentile territory and doing miracles and exercising demons. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman about the Messiah. Well, Jesus said through the Great Commission that the apostles are indeed to bring the message of Jesus beyond the Jews to Samaria, which is where Philip was at. But now Philip is already stepping in to the third phase that will be realized more fully in Acts chapter 10, and that is to the ends of the world. In Luke's day, uh, as a subject of the Roman Empire, Ethiopia was bordering on the edge of the world for them. So if you're curious, the Ethiopia in the Bible and the Ethiopia today are two different Ethiopias. The Ethiopia of today descends from a different people, not the same empire here in Acts. Confusing, I know. But this description would just be nails on a chalkboard to a Jewish man of Luke's day. First, he was a foreigner, which in Old Testament, Old Covenant Judaism already makes you second class at the temple. Secondly, we hear he's a eunuch. And I'm going to show you a verse that will make you embarrassed. It's in the Bible. You're welcome. There's your warning. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And that's it. (laughs) There's no explanation (laughs) in the law. There's no footnotes. There's no cross-references. It just kind of stinks to be you (laughs) if you can't enter the assembly of the Lord. That's rather exclusive. But we find... About 1,300 years after that law was written, a eunuch who had been to Jerusalem to worship. Now, some say this, that as a high official from Ethiopia, maybe he was given some leeway. But it was likely that he was not 100% involved in worship at Jerusalem, a special area for him in the temple and so forth. We continue in verse 28. And this Ethiopian, again, was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We know he's reading from Isaiah 53, but commentators can't help point out Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 is a picture of the new covenant, and in fact, the ESV titles the first part of this chapter, Salvation for Foreigners. And in verses 4 and 5 we read, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Well, this is about to be fulfilled back in Acts chapter 8. So just a quick regroup. An angel of the Lord has told Philip to go south, basically. He did so. He meets up with this Ethiopian at the right time. God intervenes again directly to talk to Philip. We hear this in verse 29 it says and the spirit said to Philip go over and join this chariot so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet Most people read aloud in that in ancient times but especially manuscripts which was even ancient in the Ethiopians day as the lettering was always crowded and difficult Anyways Philip asked do you understand what you are reading Verse 31, and he said, uh, verse 31, <laughs> and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, if you've been here for any number of weeks, you might know that this sort of scripture gets my blood pumping. (laughs) Because the Bible is about Jesus. (laughs) Let's see if I can preach this same thing in different words, or the words that Acts 8 here is telling us. But first note the conversation between Philip and the Ethiopian. Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Now the word guide here is the exact same verb used by Jesus. As Jesus describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit who told Philip to go over and join the chariot. Jesus says in John 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, this is the Holy Spirit that has been conducting Philip's affairs the whole time. And now that he's here, Philip is going to guide this Ethiopian. And again, he was reading Isaiah 53. Actually, he was reading it in the Septuagint which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is why if you turn there in your ESV and look at verses 7 and 8, it's the same but worded slightly different because most Old Testaments are translated directly from the Old Testament Hebrew as opposed to the Greek that actually the New Testament authors were reading. Isaiah 52 through 53 is known as the suffering servant poem. A few years ago, I preached through uh, this poem for our Lent series. Isaiah the prophet, actually beginning in chapter 42 of his book, began writing poems about a certain figure called the servant, and he would write four poems throughout the remainder of his book about the servant. And when it comes to the suffering servant, Jesus pointed out that this poem was about him, actually. Luke records for us, back in his gospel account, Luke 22, verse 37, Jesus talking to his disciples the night of his crucifixion, right before he prayed on the Mount of Olives and Judas came out to arrest him. Jesus says to his disciples, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's taken from Isaiah 53, verse 12, the very same poem that the Ethiopian is reading. Jesus continues back there for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Now, Isaiah was writing 700 years prior to Jesus. 700 years. Just to give you a kind of frame of reference, do you know what 700 years ago today was? 1319. (laughs) There were knights running around. Anyways. So, that's all I think about. (laughs) So we read a striking description of the injustice towards Jesus in the words, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens, not his mouth. We see this picture in the Gospel accounts. I think about, especially in Matthew, we read the words, and the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus... Remain silent. Jesus' trial is full of false accusations and they ultimately press in to execute him and Jesus hardly fights back. Silent. Verse 33. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Jesus is utterly humiliated. He's whipped, he's mocked, he's spat on. And the man who came... Closest to giving him almost fair justice, that's Pilate. Pilate gives into the crowd's demands and hands them over. Who can describe his generation? The idea is, how horrible are they? And Jesus has choice words throughout the gospel accounts. He's constantly referring to this generation, right? They didn't see the signs of the times, the Messiah is here. They didn't see that. And so his life was taken away from the earth. Well, we know all this. It's why I could preach a text that was 700 years prior to the events to cover Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. The Ethiopian eunuch, however, did not. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Beginning with this scripture. So we get the idea that Philip maybe started with Isaiah 53, but he didn't end there. Maybe maybe he went to other places in Isaiah. Maybe he said, you know, earlier the prophet mentioned that the sign of Emmanuel, God with us, would come in the form of a birth through a virgin. Let me tell you the story about Jesus of Nazareth's birth, since it's almost Christmas, Mr. Ethiopian. No, just kidding. But a little after that in Isaiah, the prophet described the child as a gift for us, that he is a wonderful counselor, that he's mighty God, he's everlasting father, he's prince of peace. Maybe Philip went on to say, you know, Jesus reminded us as he hung on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, or no, Father, why have you forsaken me? And it reminded us of what David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm chapter 22 to be exact, which perfectly describes Jesus' crucifixion. In other words, Philip revealed that the Bible is about Jesus. I'll totally preach on that sometime. And as Philip gave the good news about Jesus, relevant, I believe, are the words of Paul. Paul tells us in Romans ten, fourteen and fifteen, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe on him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Philip was sent. He brought the good news. He's preached it. He's revealed that Jesus is the long-awaited prophet, so much so that the Spirit who breathed the words of Scripture has now illuminated it and given it to the Ethiopian. That we read next. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Before the resurrected Lord ascended, in Matthew's account of the Great Commission, we read Jesus saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I'm going to assume that maybe in Luke's summary of Philip, quote, telling the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus, maybe included Jesus' command here. Why was he to, wanted to get baptized? But the dots are connecting for the Ethiopian eunuch, that Jesus has ushered in the new covenant, that Jesus has brought Isaiah 56, where foreigners and eunuchs are given a place in the family of God into a reality. So if that's the case the Ethiopian says I'm included. I'm allowed finally into the God's family. Like what do I need to do? Where do I get baptized? And lo and behold here comes some water. How odd. In the desert. How convenient. How coincidental that Philip had been on this road at just the right time to catch up with a foreign eunuch that really loved God who was reading Isaiah about the Messiah that had just been on earth. (laughs) How coincidental that at just the time after Philip introduced him to Jesus that here comes a body of water in the middle of a desert. (laughs) The whole thing is screaming with the Lord's providence, isn't it? Well, we come to verse 37, and if you have an NIV, an NLT, an ESV, a message, this verse is absent but may be apparent in your footnotes, depending on what kind of edition of the Bible you have. I checked our giant prints out there. It doesn't have it. But Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So some old manuscripts don't have this verse. Some did. Those manuscripts that did are reflected right in the text, in the King James Version, the New King James Version, Modern English Version. Some translations have it with brackets, the NASB, the HCSB. Those that are fine with subtracting it usually um, say, well, the odds are some scribe put it in the text later to clarify how one is baptized. Well, I still think it's an important verse. So it shows that the Ethiopian eunuch does have full access to the throne of God. No longer is he outside the temple courts, but rather he, like you and me, have become the very temple where God resides. Amen? This is what belief in Jesus Christ does. As Dean read for us in Ephesians 2, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. If the law and its vigorous demands and the gospel and its scandalous grace tells us anything, it tells us that no one is excluded. No matter what you have ever done, no matter our darkest secrets and our most disgusting, vile, and heinous sins, the gospel, Christ crucified and resurrected, will bring us to peace in God. Amen? No one is far enough out of his reach. No one is cut off from the people of God. Nothing prevents people from being baptized in God. True heartfelt belief. That's all you need. And so we read with this simple profession of faith, the Ethiopian then commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And so we have a literal baptism with the amazing and exciting reality. First, of course, we have the symbolism of Philip's sins being put to death with Christ as he descends into the watery grave. We have the purification taking place symbolized in the water. We have him being raised with Christ and in Christ's resurrection as he comes out of the water. But consider the other symbolism, too. And I I think Genesis' story was so timely today about the gal from Sri Lanka, because here is a Jewish holy man baptizing likely a black Ethiopian eunuch into the very family of God so that nations, races, and religious barriers are washed away in the family of God. In Christ, no longer do things that separate the world need to separate brothers and sisters and their maker. The possibilities are endless. Who do you think is the least likely person to ever come to Christ? In Christ, nothing is impossible. In fact, we see something rather supernatural next. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. I don't think it was because Philip was finally gone. (laughs) But Philip found himself at... And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Do you see the great links, the supernatural links, the amazing moving of heaven and earth breaking the world's laws and physics, and the calling of one man to walk a long journey all the way from Samaria, going down to Gaza just for one man, just for one man. right? This isn't Jonah going to the big city of Nineveh. This isn't Paul and the intellectuals gathering on Mars Hill. This isn't calling Abraham out of a foreign people to begin with heading out into the promised land or even Moses delivering the Israelites. All of this is from the Spirit of God to supernaturally call Philip to rise and go. The Holy Spirit inspiring Philip to say the very words he did was all for one man. The Holy Spirit cares About just one man. God cares about just one man. I want you to hear that. The enemy may be saying to you from time to time God's got bigger fish to fry than your lost whoever. Right? Your lost whoever has joined the ranks and ranks of people who are also lost and on their way to hell with no hope. Garbage. There is hope. God does care. You better be praying. He listens and he sends willing souls to minister in unique ways. He cares. Friends, are there Philips waiting in the wings? Do you hear that? I love Philip. We need more Philips. <laughs> Obedient Philips. I wonder if there were some Samaritans when Philip was leaving. What do you mean God called you to that road going to nowhere down to Gaza? How long do you plan on walking that road there, mister? (laughs) Whatever. Have fun. Hope you don't die in that wilderness. I wish I could give you an illustration. But all I can give you is a what if. Because I sadly wasn't as obedient as Philip. I may have told you this story before. I I remember one afternoon, the end of my shift working for Pepsi up in Moscow. I had one more store to do. It was the Moscow Safeway. And so I get there and I get out. And I see this Suburban with what appeared to me to be a family. A dad and mom and some kids. And it just appeared to me to be a whole family in the Suburban. And the thought occurred to me, are they living in that thing? And was the Holy Spirit who told me, was it the Holy Spirit who told me to go ask how they are doing, ask if they need anything? And it was that doubt that kept me from doing it. I didn't want to be thought too rude or embarrass them if they're like, are you think, do you think we're poor? <laughs> I mean, And if I didn't chose my words wisely. And so they were still out there when I came out of Safeway after working Pepsi and I left always wondering. Because the Holy Spirit calls us to some weird plans sometimes, right? Sometimes he may call us to stick around in a denomination that looks like it's going down the tubes because God does see a future. Sometimes he calls Phillips to leave churches he just planted in Samaria to a road going down into a desert with no explanation why because God knows a chariot will be there with just one man who needs to hear and who will accept the gospel. And then Philip is miraculously carried away to Azatos and preached from there to Caesarea. And then we actually catch up with Philip all the way down in Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Still in Caesarea, and it's probably some 20 years later chronologically. What shows me... That whether it be God calling Philip to Samaria to plant a church or God calling Philip to a road to lead one man to Christ or God calling Philip to Caesarea for a long-term ministry, whatever the occasion, Philip is faithful. And amid Philip's faithfulness to preach the gospel, he preached the gospel at two towns called Lydda and Joppa, in which in one chapter later we find Peter coming to those towns to be received by believers Thanks to the likes of Philip who planted seeds there. Friends, with this story, do you see the power of the gospel, the mission of the gospel, the gospel, whether it's preached or whether it's received, it's powerful. It moves willing, obedient saints to do missions that have power on those who are the recipients. It brings alienated, once hostile people to the throne of grace with boldness and confidence that they will be received. It seeds that are implanted into hearts and towns will pave the way for ministry to take place long after the Philips are gone. Do you see what God can do with faithfulness? And so in the vein of Paul who says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, I want to challenge you to imitate Philip today. I want to challenge you with the fact that God's thinking, timelines, and plans are not our thinking, timelines, and plans. And I want to challenge you to be, no matter what, be faithful. Be faithful when the plan sounds ridiculous, but you know it's God. Be faithful even if it's just one man. Be faithful because you never know what you're setting the stage for when the next Christian comes along. Amen? Let's pray. Yes. It doesn't tell us what that one man did when he got home. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he spread the good news. Yep. Amen. Yep. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, sometimes you do call us to weird things, to scary things, things that make us uncomfortable, things where we give it too much thought, we might logic our way out of it. Help us to be faithful. Help us to know your voice so that we can respond whenever you call us to do things. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of Philip. For him, he was just obeying everything you told him to do. But for the church, it meant the Great Commission spreading. It meant that an Ethiopian finding salvation, and as John mentioned, perhaps going back to Ethiopia and sharing his good news, it meant two cities that would soon receive the apostles. And it meant that The third part of your great commission was already taking place. The ends of the earth was being reached with your gospel. Father, we're on one end of the earth. And because of the faithful saints before us, we're saved. Help us to be faithful in each and every situation. So that those who come behind us, as the song says, would find us faithful. And they would be faithful too because of it. We ask and we pray for these words to encourage us and to be utilized and, and to be practiced this next week even. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.